Hello and welcome to The Life of a Scientist, the podcast where we interview scientists to find out how their life really works. I'm Bia. And I'm Bia. And we are two biomedical students from Portugal. During our first season, we will be exploring the conventional research career by interviewing scientists at various stages of academia. From master student to lab technician, PhD student, postdoc, senior researcher, all the way to principal investigator. Today our guest is Mariana Amaral, who very recently concluded her master's degree in biomedical research from the Nova Medical School in Lisbon, the same one me and Bia are currently finishing up. She got her Bachelor in Health Sciences at the University of Lisbon and is now hoping to pursue a PhD. Welcome, Mariana. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. Thank you. So to, to start up, can you summarize your academic journey so far? Of course. So you guys just did it a little bit for me, but I did a bachelor degree from the University of Lisbon in Health Sciences, in which I started researching in my current lab. And then I moved on to go to the Nova Medical School of Universidade Nova de Lisboa, uh, where, in which I did a master degree in biomedical research with a specialization in oncobiology. And I'm still in my current lab, in which I've always been. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about your research and what you've been working on lately? Uh, yes, I've worked with uh, different nanotechnology-based drug delivery systems throughout my research years. Uh, I started for treatment of cancer and I also did metabolic disease such as uh, diabetes. Um, namely, I did an oral formulation of mucoadhesive insulin and currently I am, in the, I am developing a work for photothermal therapy of superficial tumors. I'm currently focusing in anaplastic thyroid carcinoma, which is a very rare and very little uh, cancer. And this is in which I did my thesis as well. Really interesting. What does a typical day look like for you? Well, <laughs> that depends. Pre-pandemic, -pre it was very different from now. So pre-pandemic, uh, pre I used to get to the university at around 9 a.m., and my day was always split between the lab and my desk. Uh, and I usually always left a little bit after 5 or 6 p.m., depending on the day. Of course, I had days that I would go earlier or later, depending on the workload I had. Now, during the pandemic, I mainly only work from home, doing data analysis that I gathered uh, pre-pandemic, because when lockdown entered, I had to go home. And I focus mainly on the data analysis and writing um, papers. Uh, when this lockdown was lifted, I had some health issues that kept me at home until another lockdown was in order. So hopefully when this lockdown is lifted, I will go back to the lab. But for now, I'm mainly working from home. It looks like my pre-pandemic day. I start working at around 8.39 and I finish up at around 6, but it's mostly desk work, but I'm very excited to go back to normal. Yeah, I imagine. I think we all miss the lab a lot. <laughs> so what do you consider to be the importance of your research and what impact do you think it can have? I am a bit biased, but I think my research is very important. Um, firstly, because anaplasia carcinoma is not very researched. And this malignancy has a very poor prognosis of three to five months, 
post diagnosis, even with treatment. So there is not a therapeutic approach that is effective for this tumor. So maybe this research could bring a very, very, very little small light in the end of the tunnel for these patients. Also, the technology that I'm currently working on with the nanoparticles that I'm working on, uh, it is very tunable, so I can easily modify it for other malignancies since these malignancies are superficial. So it could potentially treat not only an aplastic carcinoma, but all other superficial tumors. That's amazing. So what's your opinion on the lack of funding on rare diseases such, your, such as the cancer you're working on? That was actually more like one of my thesis defense questions. Um, I think it's very severe. And the problem is that there are little patients suffering from this malignancy. I don't remember from the top of my head. But, um, for example, thyroid carcinomas are only 2% of all cancer diagnoses. And this carcinoma specifically, an aplastic thyroid carcinoma, is 2% of thyroid carcinoma. So this is 2% of 2% in the world population. So it's very few di diagnoses a year. So the problem is um, research, I think, focuses on the main problems because it will help the most uh, possible number of people. But the, I think these, these people are still very important and they still deserve hope and uh, to be treated and have a life, healthy life, hopefully. So I think we should still research uh, rare diseases. But the main issue is that you're helping a small percentage of people in comparison to the quantity of people that you would help if it was a more common disease. This is also the problem, for example, for other rare cancers, such as all childhood cancers are rare. And they also have very few research. Some of the drugs used for these cancers have been used for 20 years and no other drugs are entering clinical trials or are being used in clinics. So the, the, what the problem with specific with um, rare cancers is that the treatments are very rudimental or are the same treatment, for example, in a thyroid carcinoma, they use the same therapies that they try to use for other thyroid carcinomas. But thyroid carcinomas uh, have the normal function or altered function, but they still perform the tasks of the thyroid. So they do iodine uptake, they secrete thyroid hormones. So the problem is that in an aplastic thyroid carcinoma, they, uh, aplastic thyroid carcinomas do not uptake iodine and do not secrete thyroid hormones. So they cannot be targeted by these thyroid uh, cancer therapies, but they still are used because they have nothing else to use. So I think research here is very important to find effective treatments for these specific malignancies instead of using overall therapies that would be used for other malignancies. I don't know if I answered your question, though. Yeah, you did perfectly. I couldn't agree <laughs> more. Yeah. So we know that you're vegan. Uh, do, yeah. do you want to share some of your thoughts about using animals in research? Uh, yes. So I think more than a vegan label, maybe a um, plant-based label would be more um, ideal for me because I do eat plant-based and I try to minimize animal suffering and uh, animal cruelty in my day-to-day -day life, for example, in what I shop and what I don't shop. But I do perform uh, animal experiments. 
um, mainly because honestly there are no alternatives. We can test many things in vitro, but we cannot assess neither, for example, pharmaco pharmacocinetics or biodistribution in cells and other in vitro methods. We need a whole being to do that with all the organs, with all the systems working. And of course, we cannot test it in humans. So we have to do it in animals. I would be very happy to one day say that we have um, other models that aren't animal models to test these things. And I would be the first person to use them if they worked. Um, in order to minimize the animal's use, minimize its suffering. But for now, as a plant-based human trying to minimize animal suffering, but still doing animal experiments because we need to find new therapies for humans and animals, of course, these therapies can also be used in animals. Uh, I will do my best to minimize the animals used in my experiments, minimize its suffering, respect its sacrifice in role of human health, but in, unfortunately, I still need to perform animal experiments. And I think we all do. We can always try to do our best to respect the animal, respect the, um, its life, but I think it's still necessary, unfortunately. I think we are on a good path. We're, we're trying to develop new models and trying to use them more before we go into mice. So, for example, the lab that I'm trying to go into is trying is using zebrafish, which and they use it in a, a stage that they don't really have a, a nervous system yet, so it's less unethical because they don't really feel anything. Uh, and I think if you, it, it's it's still it's it, it would be better if you didn't use it at all, of course. But like if you, if you can yeah. uh, test things on those sorts of models before you go into mice, you can minimize the number of mice you use and uh, maybe one day they won't be needed at all. So I think we're, we're on, the, uh, on the right path, but I think it's still gonna take a long time before we can say that we, we aren't using animals for research. I think we are on the right path, but unfortunately, at least for me, a cow is the same as a dog and a zebrafish is the same as a mice or a rat, although it doesn't have the same systems. But for me, using zebrafish or using other animals is the same. And I would like to minimize all animals. We have already such things such as organelles, but organelles, again, have the problems of not having all the, the systems working, right? They don't have the systems to study by distribution and other things. But yeah, I think we are definitely on the right path. I just hope that one day we don't have to use any animals at all. Hopefully yeah. in the future, because for example, for cosmetics, we used to use animals. And now uh, I think in the European Union is not allowed to use, to perform animal testing for cosmetics. So we will definitely get there with other research, I think. Yeah, I don't think uh, scientists particularly enjoy uh, using animals for research. I've never met anyone who actually likes it. So we, we are all definitely trying to find alternatives. So what are some of the challenges that you face during your master's? Um, well, in nanoparticles and drug delivery devices, I think I can speak for almost everyone going into a project of nanoparticles and drug delivery devices, that it always happens that the, your e idealized formulation somehow fails. Some characteristic that you are aiming fails, 
uh, how it or it was meant to perform fails. So um, this is this was one of my my challenges, but I think it was expected. So uh, during my masters, I gave it a long period of time for me to optimize the formulation to have the formulation that I wanted. This was definitely one of my uh, main challenges. Of course, um, ignoring the pandemic because we all went through that. Um, also, one of my setbacks was that the cell line that I was planning to use, healthy thyroid cell line, or non-pathological, I think it would be the best term because it's not healthy, um, failed to grow. It didn't grow as we planned. It had a very specific medium and it didn't grow. It grew in aslets. It was very weird. So that was definitely also a setback because we were planning on using that cell line. And then we ended up not having a healthy uh, thyroid cell line, which we'll hope to uh, fix in the future. What about your challenges during your degree and your classes itself, like the first year of your master's? Yeah, my first year of my master's was definitely challenging, but mainly for health reasons, because uh, I had a problem in my hip and I couldn't walk without walking aids. So that was my main challenge because the faculty was very difficult to assess. But... Um, from a health sciences background, which was not very molecular biology focused, I find I found it quite difficult at times to keep up because I think we all had uh, very broad knowledge from different fields. But I think the master leveled it out quite well. But for example, I remember when I went to cell regulation, it was very hard for me. Because, I, of course, I had molecular and cellular biology in my bachelor, but it was one curricular unit in the first year, and I didn't learn a lot. So I had to study quite hard for one of those curricular units. Also, in our master, I think it was also focused a lot on um, basic research methodologies, which is also something that I don't use a lot in the lab. So that was also a challenge, but it was also good to learn about it because I've never heard, uh, of, I've heard of it, but I've never performed PCRs or Western blots or SDS page gel because it's not the usual techniques that I perform in my day-to-day -day lab life. And it was very interesting as well. But I think that the main um, challenge during our first year for me was definitely keeping up with uh, the high workloads because I was working in the lab simultaneously to our first year. And it was a lot of classes. It was a lot of um, knowledge that we had to study. So that I think it was a challenge, but it was manageable. <laughs> it prepared you well for the career that you want, do you think? Uh, yes, I think so. Mainly also because it gives us, um, I think our master gave us a lot of practical knowledge and uh, also knowledge to raise questions about issues. I think we learn how to question research of other people, uh, how to criticize, what to applaud, what to comment on and recommend. And I think that that's also very useful for our future. So for those of you that, that don't know, our, our university is on top of a really big hill. <laughs> so I hated going up it every day so i can't imagine doing it with a bad hip so yeah <laughs> it was not yeah. fun it was quite hard yeah. and like i think the workload for our first year was really really high and you were 
in the lab working at the same time. So, yeah, I, I imagine you you had to work really hard. It was insane. Yeah, no sleep. <laughs> no, I actually slept. I I have um, well, I wasn't in the lab every day, of course, only on the short breaks that I could go. Um, I I'm very organized obsession in my work, not in my day to day life, but in my work, I'm very organized. And I do a lot of planning, so I could do it, but it was definitely hard, but it was feasible. I guess it prepared you for the for the future. Yes. <laughs> okay, so you've already published quite a lot for a master's student. Uh, how do you feel about the publish or perish philosophy in academia? Thank you so much. Congratulations, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think, although, of course, um, I've worked really hard to publish what I publish, I think mainly I've been really lucky to have been given these opportunities by my supervisor, um, which I am really, really thankful for, because I know this doesn't happen everywhere. And I think definitely in Portugal, there is the pressure to publish. I mean, it's in every place, I think, but mainly here in Portugal, that is what I can talk about from experience. I think, sadly, our value as a scientist and as a researcher is measured by the number of publications that we have and not the quality of these publications. And I think that's definitely a real shame and a real issue because you have, for example, people that have been working for 10 years for a paper, for example, and you have people that during those 10 years maybe published, I don't know, 50 papers. And sadly, in our system, what it's more valuable most of the times is that someone published 50 papers instead of one paper in a high quality journal. I think it's a real shame. It should definitely change. But sadly, I'm not seeing it going to going away in the near future. I think it's also a very big problem for early career researchers like, like us, because we depend on that for funding and to get positions and yeah and the, the people that have published earlier in their career always have an advantage on on those that don't and it sometimes it doesn't really depend on us like you said it depends on the opportunities you're given yeah it's sad because it doesn't depend on your work or quality or on how hard you work i think it just depends on your supervisor and the opportunities For example, I don't consider that I've worked harder than you guys. I think we all worked really hard, but my supervisor just thinks this way and gives us the opportunities, thank God, to publish. Again, that I'm really thankful for, but uh, I don't think it's fair that our value is measured in the number of our publications. It should be measured in the quality of our work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So talking about how demanding academia is, this career is known to make you work for long hours. Do you sometimes find it difficult to balance your work and personal life? I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we? Yeah. In all honesty, I made a real, real, real effort to work what, what we usually call office hours. Of course, there were days I would go in earlier, as I said, or later. Um, this system for me also involved a lot of planning to make sure that my day was organized in like t little time slots in which I would do experiments and not. 
normally, as I said, I go at 9 a.m., but there are days in which I had to go at 6 a.m. I remember a crazy hectic day, specifically in which I had a lot of uh, formulations to prepare. And also I had um, a conference. So it was a little crazy because, uh, thank God, the conference was at that university. But I remember I went at 7 a.m. to start washing my formulations, then went to the conference. And in the talk breaks, I would go back to the lab. And I think that day I left at around 9 p.m. I think that was my longest day and my most crazy day. But I think with a lot of planning and good time management, which in my work, I try to practice this a lot. I think it could be manageable, at least in my project, to to have an organized schedule. But I know this is not the reality of all people, especially because our lab is small. So we have good accessibility to the, um, the machines and the techniques that we want, and we have the time slots mm-hmm. for it. But we are, we are very little people booking these time slots. So we have the accessibility to go more or less when we want to. And this is not the reality for most places. So I think we are very lucky and I try really hard to to keep my work very organized in the time period that I want so I can still have a social life. But of course, I have, I've have to cancel plans all the time because I was late or something didn't work out and I really needed to do it in that day. Yeah, I think I think one of the advantages of that is that if you work really long one day, you, you 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 can maybe you can work less hours in the next day because you we have a very flexible schedule. Mm-hmm. So if you manage to, mm-hmm. yeah, you can rest more in the, in the next day, for example. But I think the the hardest thing for me specifically is the lack of regularity. Basically, for example, I I used I used to practice basketball, and we had of course practices on specific days of the week. And it's really, really hard to know that I'm going to be free at a specific time of the day every 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 week. So it's really hard to keep with him plans <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, when you're working in a different city also, you never know if you have to be working on weekends or not. And sometimes it, it's hard to go back home and see your family. I struggled with that. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, in my institute, we cannot work on Sundays. That's nice. We can, I, I mean, we can work on Sundays. With, yeah, we can work on Sundays with a special authorization. But so mainly we don't work on Sundays, but Saturdays for sure. And my colleagues can relate to what you just said, Bia, about the working in other cities, because I also have uh, colleagues from other cities that sometimes have to go on Saturdays so they miss the weekend. Yeah. In With their families, not... It's a place you can't really choose. Sometimes your cells and your animals need you at a specific day and you can't do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to plan because sometimes you only know like on the day before or... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I think you've talked about this a little bit already, but how has COVID-19 and the whole pandemic impacted your work? Um, Of course, COVID impacted my work a lot. Uh, as I said, my, I've been out of the lab for most of last year, also for health reasons, but definitely because of COVID-19. However, I think COVID wasn't all bad for me because if it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't have the time to have sit down and written so much, analyzed so much and published what I published because it was definitely because I was I had time 
to be in front of the computer and write, write, and write. So I think COVID, if it wasn't for COVID, maybe I wouldn't have published in the last year or published uh, as much as I did. But I'm looking forward to going back in the lab. I, I've been looking forward for it since last year. Um, I think this, this day last year was the, the day in which I had my last normal, uh, in quotation marks, um, day in the lab. So I'm really looking forward to go back. Uh, in the last year, I have been in the lab m- maybe 10, 15 times. So it really impacted my day-to-day work as I knew it in the lab. But I've been working and I've been publishing, so it wasn't. It was also um, not good because I don't want to say good because it's a disease, but it allowed me to um, reach goals that I think uh, I wouldn't be allowed to reach last year. So it was what we, what it was, but it definitely impacted me. It's good that you make made the most of it. I think. Yeah, I I really did the most of it amongst. All the bad things that happen, I made the most of it, for sure. So, uh, we know that you worked in the Netherlands for a while. Uh, how was it? And what were the main differences you felt comparing to Portugal? Yes, I really enjoyed working in the Netherlands. I was at Utrecht University at uh, Professor Sabrina Oliveira Lab for three weeks. Um, I really, really liked it. I, it allowed me to learn about other drug delivery systems that I didn't here in Portugal. Um, I could have learned it here, but uh, I, I didn't have the time and experience to do so. And there I learned about liposomes, which was actually really interesting because it's a really different uh, a preparation process from my nanoparticles that I've worked on. Um, I think the main difference is what we are all expecting is funding and they have a lot of money. Um, At least the lab in which I was at did. They ordered everything they wanted uh, almost without a second thought. And I'm not used to that in my lab. We always search in which is cheaper, if there are any alternatives in there. They just said, oh, I want, for example, I don't know, EGF. And the next day they would have their the AGF, so it was quite crazy. That was the main difference. Also, the mentality at the faculty that's very different from ours. But I think the main difference was for sure funding. I can relate to that because I I did a semester in the Netherlands during my bachelor for Erasmus, not for research but classes. But yeah, we had like a practical course on biotechnology. And the groups were two people in each group. In Portugal, you have like five, six people, and you get to if you get to pipe it, pipe it like one time during your year, you're like, yay! As many as you could fit. Yeah, exactly. And in the Netherlands, we had like a project for each group, and we we are actually doing like cloning in a plant. I would never do that in Portugal. It's so expensive to do that, and like in a class where you have so many people doing it. And yeah, I, I felt like I actually learned something in a practical class <laughs> when I was there. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's quite different. Yeah, and it's at least the university that I was in was much more international. So that's also mm-hmm. quite nice to, to get to, to to be around many cultures and yeah, see Ut- how they deal with. Utrecht research. University was also very international, from everywhere. I was very surprised. 
uh, almost no one was uh, Dutch, so it was very surprising. Hey, would you like to comment on the lack of funding and instability that comes with a research career, especially in Portugal? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's very sad, the lack of funding in science, especially here in Portugal. I think we have a chronic problem of it. All scientists, including senior scientists, are also always um, try to chasing uh, grants applications. And I think it's very severe and very sad, the lack of investment that we have here in Portugal in science. I hope that with the pandemic, people really understood how important science and scientists really are as the backbone for society and how needed the things that we discover are. So maybe, hopefully, the investment in science will increase. I'm not sure it will, because we already saw this year here in Portugal, Portugal it didn't. But... 8%. Yeah. 8%, 8%. scientific jobs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really sad that we have such bad expectations for our jobs and our future if we stay in academia. I think until the government... Um, understands that you can't make lemonades without lemons and you can definitely not make science without funding um, we have a chronic issue here and I think it should be resolved hopefully they will open their eyes with the pandemic and the vaccines and all the research that has been required for us to go back to our normal lives without science we would be living with COVID which we probably not know what it is besides a pneumonia we would be living with COVID with the, until the end of our lives. And we are all already yeah. seeing an decrease in cases in vaccinated countries such as Israel and uh, Scotland and such. So open your eyes and see how important science are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and also the lack of uh, like permanent positions. Everything's oh, yeah. temporary. You're depending on fellowships your whole life. You have no... Like security, job security. You're like, you never know what's going to happen in two or three years. If you're going to have a job, if you're going to have money, if you can pay the rent, it's it's really yeah. the It's really bad. It's uh... yeah, and you depend and like you you use time that you should be using for research to write grant applications that don't go anywhere, and it's just it's just sad. And we have so many great scientists in Portugal, and we don't support. Despite them. that. Yeah. yeah, that have may, uh, many of them have to go abroad, abroad, or have gone abroad in some time in their career to to be valued, which is also yeah. very. Yeah, and when, when they go, they normally don't come back. So yeah, just just put it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Can you share a funny story from the lab? Yeah, I have many funny stories from the lab. Mainly because in the lab I'm at is the lab I've always been at, and I think it's coming up to the three or maybe four year anniversary that I'm there. But the most recent one, it was just before the pandemic hit. It we I don't remember if you I don't know if you remember, but we had that meme going around one day about the broom that if you hold the broom, uh, standing up in the floor due to the gra the alignment of the gravity forces it would stand uh up yeah. Yeah. without anyone holding it so i remember in the lab us trying it uh we tried it with three times each with three different rooms for it to be statistically valuable 
um, and then we tried it again other days to make sure that uh, it wasn't just a troll going around it turns out it was a troll that happens with almost every broom uh, every day but it was really funny to to try that hypothesis out because we are researchers so i think it was um our research nature tried to understand if that was true or not turns out it wasn't it happens every day <laughs> scientists being scientists turning a meme into an experiment <laughs> yeah turns out there was nothing specific about the gravitational forces that day <laughs> you could have asked the physicist yeah, true. I saw I saw it everywhere on Instagram that day. I remember it was it went viral really quickly, so we we had to try it. It was a very fun day. We had a lot of students that day in the lab, so we all were really interested in trying it. It was really funny. Moving on to more serious things, how what do you feel is your greatest achievement so far? Well, my greatest achievement, I think I I'm really proud to say. I have, I think I have achieved a lot in the last year. It's kind of cheesy, but I'm really proud of all my publications that I've put out. My first research article was really important for me. Um, and definitely the paper uh, about my thesis work, which is coming up really soon. It's very important for me as well, but I think all are. Um I true I also I'm really happy to say I've truly enjoyed the line of research that I chose for my master thesis. I deeply deeply enjoyed it and I found it really interesting and important. I'm I'm deeply interested actually in as morbid as that is deadly cancers because I think these people again deserve hope. So I'm really happy with the results I obtained in my thesis year. Also, I'm really proud of an achievement last year. I kind of set this goal for myself. I don't know why this journal, but I think because it was one of the journals that I mostly read when I started being interested in research in drug delivery systems. I read a lot of uh, research papers of nanomedicine. So I made this goal in my head that I would really be happy one day when I published in nanomedicine. And that actually happened last year at Christmas Eve. So I'm also really proud of that paper. That's a good gift. <laughs> yeah, it was on Christmas. It was on Christmas Eve. It was really, really fun. It was my Christmas gift and I was really, really happy. I don't know why my fixation with this journal, but I, I as I said, I think it was because I read read it a lot. Also, one of my biggest achievements is the amount of work that I was able to do from October last, October not last year, 2019, when we started our thesis up until March to 2020, which was when the pandemic hit, because I was able to gather so much data, taking into account the my walking inability and the health issues that I had. So I'm also, my biggest achievement is also about myself and how hard I was able to work I'm really, really proud of it and the data that I collected during my master thesis. For you to have an idea, the most of, and you saw my master thesis, so the most data that I was that I collected was all between October and March, because after that, I only went in the lab for like 10 times. So most of my experiments were definitely between October and March. 
And I think I did quite a lot of work. So I'm really, really proud of myself. And that was definitely one of my biggest achievements. That's kind of cheesy, but it's true. No, it's not cheesy at all. I think you should be proud for sure. Of course. Of course you should. You've done such an amazing work. I have basically the opposite experience because I... I wasn't like in a new lab where I didn't know anything and I had to learn so many techniques. So yeah, I, I feel like I didn't have any results until up, up until March. <laughs> I was just like yeah. putting my head against, against the wall, <laughs> learning techniques and failing. Yeah, but that's just part of it. Exactly. You have to take into consideration that I was in the lab there I had been for at least two years when I started my thesis. And also, uh, although it was a different drug delivery system and that changed a lot because up to my thesis, I was working with polymeric nanoparticles. And in my thesis, I was working with metallic nanoparticles. So it was definitely very different. But I already knew the techniques for, for example, for nanoparticle characterization. You also always use more or less the same techniques. So that I already knew how to use. So you have to take all of that into consideration. Also, my first project ever, it was a big fail. So <laughs> it always happens. <laughs> And where do you see your career going in the future? What what would you like to do next? Well, next, I would hopefully get a PhD funding to do a PhD, hopefully in September. Who knows? Let's see. I think we are all chasing the same grants. So I wish the best for all of us. <laughs> trying this year. I hope we all get grants to do our PhDs, but that's definitely what I looking forward to in the future is to do my PhD and then maybe jump into industry instead of academia due to the academia uh, lack of funding and then predictability of jobs I would prefer to go into industry but let's see let's let that out in the open to see what the future brings we never know but definitely a PhD uh, I'm looking into continuing my project for my PhD, still with uh, metallic nanoparticles, uh, for phototherapies for superficial tumors. I don't know yet which tumor, hopefully an aplastic carcinoma, because I really like it. <laughs> but let's see. Definitely a PhD. You like to, to keep on working on the same research area? Yes, I really like that. It. Uh, definitely, uh, I'm open to drug delivery systems, but definitely drug delivery systems. I've always been interested in drug delivery systems. Um, actually, before my bachelor, I was already interested in drug delivery systems. One of the bachelor degrees that I applied to was uh, nanotechnologies. Um, I would get into that bachelor, but I got into health sciences first. But in my last year in health sciences, I did an essay about uh, cancer treatment using nanotechnology. And then I found my current professor in the next semester and I started with drug delivery systems and I plan to continue in it. <laughs> it was love at first sight. It's really nice that you always know what you wanted and that you enjoy it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy drug delivery systems and cancer, but I think it was because I've been exposed to it since a little girl. I've always had the passion of trying to improve the therapeutics of cancer, being the ones already commercialized or 
uh, innovative therapeutics which are definitely needed. So if you had all the funding in the world, what would you love to research? Research therapies for hopeless and rare cancers, such as anaplastic carcinoma, brain cancers, childhood cancers. There are so many. Sarcomas are also lack uh, also have lack of research. So definitely research therapeutics for cancers that do not have um, therapeutic opportunities for curative or even for palliative treatment. For example, again. Uh, going back to anaplastic carcinoma, patients with anaplastic carcinoma, if they aren't treated, they live only for three weeks post-diagnosis. But with palliative intent, they live three to five months, which is also very bad. So it's not really a palliative treatment because it's such a short period of time. We have different cancers, thank God, that have palliative treatments with, uh, for example, five years life expectancies. Even, even if they are metastatic, this happens, for example, with uh, metastatic breast cancer. Patients have hopes. Of course, they do not have curative hopes, uh, hopes which is very sad as well. But they, have, they know that it's not uh, immediate death sentence, but anaplastic carcinoma really is immediate death sentences. So. I didn't know it was so, so low. Three weeks is really, yeah, you're basically... Yeah, three weeks post-diagnosis without treatment. The doctor is telling you that you're going to die, basically. Yeah. That's yeah, because it's a very growing mass. It grows really quickly. And the problem is it's in the thyroid, so it will compress your trachea and your esophagus and all those structures. So you, you will probably choke or be unable to, to eat. And then, you have to, and then you have to have breathing tubes and all that. So even those three weeks are awful. Yeah. Sadly, that's very sad. Yeah. So, if you could learn a new skill in an instance, what would it be? That's a really hard question. I've never really thought too much about it, but off the top of my head, I would be really interested in learning histology techniques because I think they are very useful. Mm -hmm. I would also be really interested in diving into analytic Uh, techniques such as HPLC. I find HPLC very intimidating because I think it's, it seems very complex, at least the, the, the machine, it looks very complex to me, but I think it's very, very useful. So I think definitely HPLC, I would be really interested in learning those two. And I think both of them are complex. So I think it would be interesting to, to to learn this skill in the in the instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about non-research skills? Hobbies, stuff like that. Hobbies. Mm, well, I'd be really interesting if I could play a musical instrument, which I've actually tried in the past, but failed. <laughs> but I'm also really interested in sewing and knitting and cross-teaching and all that but I don't think that's too hard to learn so I think with practice Bia maybe can tell us but I think with practice you get there yeah knitting is super easy I crochet so it's quite easy yeah I think I think painting because painting you have to know how to draw and I'm not really good at it <laughs> not necessarily you can do an abstract painting <laughs> of course you can just flash paint around and you call it an abstract so <laughs> Sell it for 5,000 euros. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember when I was little, the talks about uh, painting that was being sold very for very a big quantity of money, which was a blank canvas with a black dot. I don't remember if you know this. Yeah, that's a mid-off painting. Yeah, it was just a black dot and it was very expensive. So I think when you're famous, you can sell wherever you want, but to get there, you really need to know how to paint. So maybe painting painting would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could spend a whole week with any scientist, living or not, who would you choose? I'd like to spend... Uh, a whole week with uh, Jane Goodall or Sir David Attenborough uh, because I think these two uh, remarkable scientists and maybe especially Dr. Jane Goodall, spe uh, specifically because she's a woman and I can imagine the, challenge that, the challenges that she had as a woman uh, going into the jungle and living with the chimpanzees. I think it would be really interesting. I think these two uh, people have seen remarkable things and imaginary things and I would be so thankful if I could experience those those two uh, weeks with those two people hopefully in the past when they were in the jungles and uh, with the animals I think it's, it would be really interesting like can you imagine living in a jungle with the chimpanzees and learning how to talk to them I think it's insane I would love it I, I I'm I'm really uh, I'm truly fascinated by these these careers of these two. I think it's amazing. The biologist in me also likes it a lot. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, I'm really fascinated. But but again, it's completely outside of my research area. But I think these two would be would I pick in a heartbeat. What do you like to do when you're not working? Well, I like to read. I read a lot. Mainly romance novels. We know. <laughs> you always carry your Kindle around everywhere. Yeah, I love reading. I read a lot. Um, I used to love to take walks prior to my health issues with my friends in Lisbon. And then I stopped doing that because I was forced to. But again, since these health issues are fixed, I've been loving to walk. Actually, since I had a surgery and since my surgery, I've walked more in these last five months than in the last two years. So it's insane. I'm, I'm loving it so much again. So definitely my two main hobbies right now is going on walks near my home, of course, because of the pandemic. So in my street <laughs> and uh, reading. I've actually been reading a lot and watching Netflix because who doesn't? <laughs> So if you weren't a scientist, what do you think you would be doing? That's a really interesting question. And I'm not sure I have an answer for it. Because um, since I was a child, my interests have been scattered all over the place in many, many, many different fields. Um, and what I wanted to be when I grew up changed, changed a lot during the years. But I think... I would still like to be in healthcare though, because I really enjoy healthcare and helping people. But I'm not sure what I would be doing besides research, because I'm, I don't think I would be ready to deal with the hardships of being a doctor or a nurse or an assistant. Mm -hmm. So, but it's something in healthcare. Maybe a veterinary doctor. 
because I'm really I really like animals. So it's still healthcare, right? It's just animal yeah, healthcare. Of course. But I would also love to be a veterinary doctor. Doctor, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> Completely out of those two. I've also been really interested since a child in audiovisuals. <laughs> so I could also be something in that too. Who knows? As I said, it's scattered all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I, I was also like that. I wanted to be an archaeologist. So that's yeah. cool. I think it's the, <laughs> because I think researchers are really curious people, right? It's our yeah. nature to yeah. be curious and to ask mm -hmm. questions and to try and find the answers to the issues. I think that's why maybe I'm interested in so many fields because I'm such, I think, a curious person that when I got into uh, something, I found it all, always really interesting. Yeah, I can relate. For sure. And finally, for our last question, what advice would you give those that are at the beginning or that want to follow a science career? Um, I think my main advice is take your time in finding a lab and a supervisor you really like and that you have a good relationship with. I consider that I have a very good relationship with my supervisor and I'm very lucky to have found her in the beginning of my research career. And I think she gives us uh, amazing opportunities to grow and allows us to have to be independent in choosing our projects and outlining our projects. And I think that's very, very important for you to grow as a researcher. So I think my main advice would be to find a good lab, but most importantly, a good supervisor. Uh, not, don't only focus on if the, it is a bigger institute. I think we always tend to go to bigger institutes. Don't always want to go to a big institute because sometimes there are so many people in those institutes that you will be just one more amongst those in that sea of person. But I think really take the time to find a good supervisor, regardless of funding and the institute, because a good supervisor will really help you throughout your journey and guide you, which is what they really should do. So I think that's my main advice. But how would you say you can spot a good supervisor if you don't actually know the person? Well, For me, for example, I had a meeting with my supervisor prior to choosing the project because this was, uh, I found my supervisor doing a research uh, curricular unit, which was research project. And uh, so we had a list of, super, of themes for your research project. And I chose my, my project and I went to meet the supervisor, which is my supervisor. And I had um, a meeting with my supervisor and I, I think we really clicked, so I decided to stay. But I think you should, uh, as supervisor interview students, you should kind of interview also supervisors to see if you are a good match <laughs> or not, because I think it's really important to be a good match. Yeah, absolutely. It makes mm -hmm. a huge difference. For sure. And maybe talk to students that have been supervised by that person. That yes, probably also, also help. that. Also yeah. that. That's also very important. So uh, we want to play a game now with you. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called This or That. And it's very, very simple. We give you two options. You choose the one you prefer and tell us why. Ready? Okay. Yes. 
Okay, so the first question is lab work or desk work? Lab work all the way. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after one year of desk work. I'm so done. Definitely want to go back in the lab. When I entered research, I said I love research because I didn't want an office job. And currently it's feeling like a little like an office job. So definitely lab work all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm on the same boat. <laughs> uh, a weekend at the lab or at a conference? Mm. Depends on the conference because there are some really boring ones. <laughs> But um, if it was in a conference that was abroad, a conference, definitely. <laughs> if it's a boring <laughs> conference, then the lab. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now, now even the abroad conferences are online. So <laughs> I've been to so many conferences. I'm completely <laughs> ignoring the pandemic. So I'm thinking about normal times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. All right. So UVV spectrophotometry or MTT assay? I, MTT. <laughs> All the way. I, I love to do MTTs. But they are very stressful because what if your formulation completely fails and ends up killing the healthy cells instead of the tumor cells? But MTT all the way. They are so fun. But it's I pretty. love to see the color gradients. Yeah, it's so pretty. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. love MTT. <laughs> UVV spectrophotometry is really boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's very repetitive. Yeah. I don't think any, anyone likes spectrophotometry. Like at all. Yeah. Well, the end, the end of the MTT is a UVV spectrophotometry, but definitely yeah. an MTT. True. <laughs> definitely but, an MTT. But it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, starting early in the morning or staying late at night? Early in the morning. I could be in the lab at 6 a.m. if I must, but not leave after 8 I hate working late. I prefer... I'm completely a morning person, so I'd rather go into the lab really early than leaving late. After yeah. seven, my brain just shuts off. Bye. <laughs> Stops working. Yeah, like same. you're done. Go to sleep. So would you rather do a poster presentation or write a paper? Presentations are really uh, stressful, I think. So... Yeah. Maybe writing a paper, but it takes so much longer. But I really, I've really deeply enjoyed writing in the last year. So maybe writing a paper. Courageous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. So if you'd like to do a social media shout out or promote something that you'd like. Yeah, sure. My personal Instagram, which is currently the only Instagram that I have is Mari underscore Mari underscore Amaral. And um, maybe my research gate, which I feel it's appropriate, right? <laughs> the yeah. social media, it's social media of researchers. So my research gate is Mariana Amaral with my affiliation that is University of Lisbon, uh, IMED Lisboa. I think that's all. <laughs> Great. We'll leave that in the description. So go follow Maria. Yeah, go follow. Thank you for uh, being with us, for answering our questions. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> And good luck with your research. Yes. Thank you. 
for you girls too. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. <laughs>